Did you know that they make canes with shock absorbers? Look at that. Yeah, and it stands by itself. It's a magical thing. I don't think I really need it, but just in case things decide not to work, I thought I'd bring it with me. There you go. All right. We are in the book of Colossians. So we have uh, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of people, which would now be in an area of western Turkey, and they didn't know him other than by reputation or people who knew him had come to visit them. So he's writing a letter to these people who have gathered together to form a church in an area that is... uh, Influenced, and I mean, these are generations of people who have worshipped a variety of gods. They have uh, Greek history, Hittite before that, Greek history. So, if you know the pantheon of gods for the Greeks, the Romans, that's that's the world these guys lived in. So, they have um, a moral system based on the gods that they have. They have. Times when they have holidays, and their holidays follow whatever god they happen to be worshiping. And the sun, the moon, the stars, different formations in the stars, all of those things make a difference to what they're worshiping, when they're worshiping, how they worship. All of those things are part of day-to-day life for them. So when you plant, when you harvest, the jobs that you, you have, whatever guild you might be, or skill you may have and participate in. All of those things are, are mandated by these uh, beliefs and belief systems. And we come along with something like this. This letter in the first century is so different. It narrows it down to the one true God, to the most high God. And now they have to look at, so how do we treat each other? How do we get along? How do we do the things we're supposed to? How do we live in this world if we believe Jesus, if we believe in the one God, if we hold on to these truths, how does that change things for us? What can we expect and, and how can we do this? So uh, that's where we are in Colossians. So this is uh, chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. And so we're, we're into the book a little bit. And this one's going to speak to us, this section's going to speak to us in terms of, so what do we do? How do we do it? And um, we're going to sort of dig into that, drill down a little bit into this, these, the information here related to that. But the, the uh, title of this is, Now is the Time. And I want to bring you into that. By by thinking about some things that you know, what when is the best time to get rid of some nasty business? You know, when when is that time? Like, when's a good time to change a dirty diaper? You know, let's wait two three years and uh, get around. When we get around to it, no, you do it now. Now is the time. So, what about a tick that's attached to your skin? When when do you do that? Well, you could wait. I don't know if you've ever seen a hound dog with a tick on it after, I don't know, two, three days. That's an exciting thing. They get big and bluish gray. And, and if you haven't, you don't want to play with one. Just, just saying. 
unnecessary burdens. When should we, you know, approach that, deal with that? What, what's a good time? Again, three, four, five years. Let's put that off as long as we can. Or uh, maybe dog poo on your shoes. I know you can't say poo in church, but I just thought that might fit. The, uh, the idea is we, there are things we need to take care of, and they need to be taken care of now. What about rotten attitudes and behaviors? When, when would it be a good time? When should that be addressed? When, when should we change the things that we're doing, the way we approach it, the way we think about things? When do we do that? And like these other things, you know, two, three years, maybe, maybe two, three decades, maybe never would be a good time. You know, people need to adjust to me. And if I'm having a rotten attitude, they just need to accept that. Right? If it's you saying it, then it's okay. You don't want to hear it from anybody else. Because now's the time to change, to become better. Which is what Paul is writing to these people about. And he's saying there's something that's changed. Jesus has come. The world is not the same as you thought. He is the representative of the Most High. And he happens to be the Most High. It's a both-and kind of a thing. And he is leading us into this new life. And we don't have to live the way we did before. We are no longer obligated to do that. So we don't have to demand of other people to put up with our rotten attitudes and say they just need to adjust. Nope, this is a new day. So we begin to deal with our own, the the stuff that we have to deal with. So this is him, uh, Paul writing in Colossians 3. So if you have a copy of that or you have it on your device, you can look it up. But it will be on the screen up there. The good word. So put to death the sinful, earthly Things lurking within you. And you go, I don't don't think I have any of that. Well, we can ask people around you, and and maybe they can help. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world because of these sins. The anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Wow. That's like a big change. And that's addressing things that are internal. These are things that start inside of us and then work their way out. And because we've been brought up in a a way that we go, that's just, that's how life is. I mean, that's, and, and, and I just need to be patted on the head and comforted and, and people just need to accept me, even if I have all of these, you know, issues. And Paul is kind enough to say, no, you don't. Just rip off the Band-Aid. Get the dog poo off your shoe. It's time. Don't just walk around with these things. I remember, I just saw less, so this brought, brought this memory. <laughs> back. This is back in high school. So you're safe. It's just, we, had to, we had ag class, so those of you who have FFA or ag class, and you, and you go out with your, and it's in the middle, of, so your hour with ag is in the middle of the day. So you've been to classes, and now you're coming back to classes, but in the middle you go, to, you go somewhere. And there were often these trips to somebody's farm. 
and you got to go out there with the cattle or you're out there with the hogs. You're out there with somebody and something, and you're wading around with your boots in places that are, uh, for the rest of the class when you get back, pretty yucky. Well, there's no cleanup between the time you've been out in somebody's corral and you get back. And uh, in the classroom, the people around you are going, oh. <laughs> the other ad guys are going, hey, yeah, it's cool, we're, we're good. You got, you got stuff all over your boots. Sit in the back. It's just, and, and they'd open the windows. We didn't have air conditioning or anything. This is WPA building, so was, we were lucky to have to just open a window and let the air freshen it up. So when did, when's a good time to get rid of stuff? You know, to just let's just let it linger. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's how we approach so many things. So he's saying, don't do this. You used to do this. It's like the world. That's the customs and the attitudes that are all around you among the cultures of this world. And it doesn't matter which one you pick. They're all going to do things that are in opposition to where God is going because there's this rebellion tendency, rebellious tendency that's out there. So, geo-identical. I like the world. I don't know if that's a real word. I just kind of thought that made sense. So, so there you go. So you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Colossians 3.7, geo-identical, like the world. I'm going to do those things that are fitting, that are acceptable. For those who do not know God, do not have life, do not have the Holy Spirit, do not have a future in heaven, I'm going to be like those people. Because, you know, they're smart and cool and aren't they fun. Here's the issue. That attitude out there, like the world, rebel against God. So just the fact that he is, is enough to set them in motion. Just the fact that there is an almighty is enough. That there is a creator of all things. Oh my gosh, that will set. You can bring that up in a university and that's all you need. Start a fight. Why? Because inside there's the rebellion still raging. And as Paul is addressing these people, this is a new thing. Coming to Jesus, living his way, doing life differently is a new thing. Everything in us, every cell, every thought is consumed and directed by the rebellious ones in the heavens and on earth. And we, go, and we buy it because that's all we know. It's like fish live in water. And if you ask them you know, about the water and they go, what? They don't know because they don't know they live in water, just where they live. And so we live in the world and we accept it as, oh, it's normal. That's just how you do things. That's how you function. And again, asking everyone else to just adjust and put up with our nonsense because we're us and they owe it to us. And I know when I'm saying that, you're going, well, that's just garbage. Yeah, there you go. Now you know. So there's a rebellion against God, a tendency to, to turn on him. And if you bring up the name of Jesus in, in, anymore... In a courtroom, you bring up the name of Jesus in uh, the legislature. It really sets people on edge. You bring them up in a, in a classroom, it's, uh, it's going to get remarks. It's going to get attitude. It's going to get rolled eyes. It's going to get all kinds of things that are going to stir things up. Because in the world in which we live, a rebellion against God, just 
in general, exist. In us, it exists as well. A tendency to rebel, a tendency to join with the world around us, a tendency to say, I don't want you telling me what to do. And what Paul's reminding us is, we have a new life. We have a new way to live, a new way of understanding the world around us. We are not part of that anymore. We are moving on to a new... We're supposed to let that die. Just all of those kind of thoughts, all those rebellions, no longer need to be part of our lives. So that rebellion against God should be gone because we're going to embrace him and go his way, listen to him and do what he wants. There's also a rebellion against good. Just throw out any, anything good and people will go, well, that's just horrible. You know, how in the world can you think that it's a good thing to protect uh, babies in the womb? What a ridiculous thought. We need to have laws that say that we, we don't do that anymore. That's the moral thing is to not protect the babies in the womb. And if you think I'm making that up, just read the news. Because the new moral system is the right to kill those babies. That's, that's what's good. What's evil is having any limitation on that whatsoever. Seems ridiculous. And yet there's uh, a rebellion against good. And if you do uh, evil, and, and the more evil you can do, this is even for Christians, believers, you know, I'm not really uh, just saying this as, as someone who's a little sarcastic on uh, <laughs> approaching this. If you do it, if you can be edgy, if you can be right on the edge of what is evil, but just don't join in 100%, then, you know, that's cool. And, and you want to be cool. You want to be seen as cool. So always press it. Always whatever the culture lead you to do. It was the same in the first century as it is today. Just just do that. And aren't you acceptable? See, you're the bridge between this horrible God who expects you to be good in attitude and behavior and the world around you who is like, aren't we cool by doing the opposite? We can do, we can do bad. We can do ugly. We can, do, we can treat people any way we want. We can live in a way that, that looks like we're part of the world, but, you know, really secretly, we got this Jesus thing going on, so at least we got a way to heaven. Like God doesn't know the difference. And we press it, and we can do that as believers. That's why he's writing this, is because there are believers who do press it. There is a rebellion against good, want to promote evil and put good down. And make fun of people who seek to do good. So that's another one. Uh, rebellion against the godly. So if you, if you are naming the name of Jesus and you are seeking to do what is right, seeking to do what is good, seeking to do what will benefit others, what, what will point, to, point people to the Lord Jesus, point people to what is healthy for them, what is good for a community or a country, and it includes doing the right thing for the right reasons, and people will be quick to rebel and argue with you, push back, and you will find it in every corner, even among people in the church. So it's just geo-identical, like the world. You used to do things 
these things when your life was still part of the world. And it, it's like Paul saying, you know, you don't have to do that anymore. You rethink these things. Let's move in a new direction. So now, so that's what it was to be like the world. Now, uh, Colossians 3.8, now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. And he just brings out some things that, you know, people enjoy. You know, this is like really taking the fun out of driving down the interstate. Get rid of anger and rage and, and dirty language. How can you drive down the real estate, uh, the interstate dealing with the drivers that are out there? Not you, of course, but those other ones. You have a right to be angry and say whatever you want and any way you want. And Paul's saying, no, you don't. And you go, well, I'm going to skip chapter 3 of Colossians and move on to something else. Now's the time. So when do you get rid of that tick attached to your skin, the dog poo on your shoe? When do you, now or later? So when do we get rid of these things? Now's the time. So let me, get, let me run you through a few of those. Anger. Like you don't know what that is, but we're going to talk about it anyway. A state of being, settled indignation, steeled opposition, set to blow up or melt down at any glitch to personal thoughts, feelings, opinions, plans, or timing. You know somebody like that. It's not you, but you know people. And they have blown up, and they have melted down, and they are convinced that they are absolutely right, whether they are or not. Anything that comes in the way of or comes between them and a, a thought, they, because they're always right. So if somebody disagrees with them, well, they need to yell, scream, holler. Um, personal feelings, whether that goes up or down, how they, how they view it is the way, that's the reality. And so being in steeled opposition means I'm going to take the opposite view and I am firm in my position here. There's no room for grace. There's no room for conversation. I'm just going to take this end of things. And uh, anybody who disagrees can catch the bat upside the head because I'm just right. And it comes to feelings or opinions. You can you know look on... Facebook, where people feel totally free to announce their opinions on things without evidence or data, or it doesn't matter, just opinions. And plans, any plans you have, you think, well, this is, you know, this has got to work out this way because this is my plan in my head. Uh, if you're walking with God, those plans will not be the way you think. And if you're ready to go His way, uh, it'll take some serious turns. And you might as well get on a corkscrew ro- roller coaster, and that's going to be more the reality because he's going to take you in different directions. And the timing—we're always thinking, "Well, this is—you know—this is going to work out for me. This is—and—and and if it doesn't, well, I'm right. I am justified in being angry and taking it out on everybody and anything around me. So I'm going to, you know, whack if if. You're working on a car, and, and it's like, I need to have this done this afternoon. It doesn't work, so you hit it with a wrench. What good does that do? doesn't matter. Just got to, you know, I'm angry because it didn't work out the way I wanted. And I'm right, and this machine is stupid. 
And so we take it out on the machine. And if somebody comes in and offers you some iced tea, you just blow up on them because obviously they don't understand how awful this situation is. Timing is off. Again, that's other people. Maybe the people in the church next door, but not not here. But anger, state of being, is something that you know occurs. So how do you manage your anger? And here's a little graphic. We get a little graphic on this one. How to manage your anger. And, and what I'm going to, I'll use that word again, but I want to point out that these are ways that you can be mad and, and just kind of hold on to it and, and make it okay. And, and, and uh, I want to contrast that with something else here in just a sec. So let me run through the little images. How to manage your anger. Identify triggers and warning signs. Okay. And typically, uh, you, may, you blow up at similar things, and you get hold on to it. But in this case, it's, if you actually do identify what's, what sets you off, you can say, okay, I'm, I'm gearing up for that. I'm going to drive on the interstate, and today I'm not going to yell at everybody. And just, you know, that's a trigger. So I, I kind of know that's happening. Um, like in this case, talk to somebody, probably not the person you're mad at, and work through, you know, what you're thinking and what's process a little bit. So that's part of the idea. It, it does help to talk to the actual person, but sometimes you need, they need a breather. Maybe not you, but they do. <laughs> Try breathing or muscle relaxation, calming down. That's that you know, count to ten kind of a thing. Take a little break in there. Walk or exercise. Just get away and get out. Step away from the situation and reframe your thinking. So that's how. And this is just a typical thing you can find on the internet about how to manage your anger. And you've heard them before because these are uh, either in a meme or a class or if you watch TV they'll throw these things out in any of those little dramas that they have these these are typical now here comes a biblical part oh bummer get rid of anger don't manage it in this in the in that sense that we were just reading admit anger admit that you're that that's something that's troubling you that 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 trigger sets off or that situation created, admit it. And you got to admit that to yourself. you got to start there. Admit it to God, admit it. And then if there are people who have been, uh, I don't know, bulldozed by it, maybe you know you need to talk to them, admit, I'm just angry. I'm dealing with the, these things are just boiling up inside, and here's here's where I'm at. But admit it. And then reject it. You know, you can see a difference here. Uh, reject it, replace it, and then act in the Holy Spirit. So let's get rid of anger. Reject it. Say, I, you know, I don't even need that. Do you know you can think more clearly and get more done without anger than you can with it? So why hold on to it? Reject it. Replace it. God's offered all kinds of of different approaches to how we can think, how we behave, how we speak, how we engage the world around us, other people. Replace it. Act in the Holy Spirit. 
that is a whole beautiful thing that gives us a new way of living and perspective, and he gives us the power to do this. Jesus died, rose again, sent the Holy Spirit because he said, I got something new for you. You don't have to live the way you used to. You don't have to be the way of the world. I've got something so powerful. In fact, the power that we have in the new life is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Isn't that what he said just right before this? That's powerful. He was dead. Now he's alive. And he's making that available to everyone who believes in him. So here's this power to not be like the world, to be like him, to live in a way that's so radically different. So we, we replace it with love. We replace it with patience. We re- replace it with better understanding. We, we are moving in a new direction because we have the power of the Holy Spirit who, who's going to give us the ability to do this. Not, it's not natural. We're getting something from, from heaven directed into us so that we can live in a way that is radically different from the world, which he said we're supposed to break away from and not be like. So that's, that's the get rid of anger. And we're going to see that pattern. So that's, that's sort of the thing that, that I wanted to introduce, and uh, that pattern is going to repeat. Rage, a state of being. Again, we just, man, I just, I have always been... Uh, positive about rage uh, and, and again I'm throwing this out sarcastically the uh, uh, tendency as a human is to go I'm, I'm just going to go with what I'm used to I get angry I'm okay with that everybody else has to adjust to me I have rage and that's just my anger piled on, on top of itself and I am legit and raging and everybody has to adjust to me you know, there's like 8 billion people on this planet. I don't think they need to adjust to you. And that's pretty much what God's saying uh, through Paul in this. It's a change. So, but here's a state of being. It's an illegitimate, intense emotional uh, Im- impulses or heated outburst. It may result from a gnawing hunger to be heard, overcome a sense of shame, or have control. If you've been around people who rage, you have seen them often use that as a means to manipulate others, to get them to do what they want them to do. If somebody blows up, you ever heard of the, you know, I'm walking on eggshells because you don't know what that other person, how they're going to respond. So they, they rage. So how do you deal with the rager? Well, you just try to figure out what sets, what are the triggers for them. You adjust your entire life. Things you say, things you do, when you do those things, and how you do those things, based on how the rager will respond. And I guarantee you, whatever you've guessed will work with the rager is wrong. Because they just, ragers rage. And they're just looking for an opportunity. And if you try to do it right, that'll be enough to make them angry. And then they blow. You just can't get ahead of it. In this case, he's pointing to us. What's in us? What is it that leads us to rage at other people, other situations, to rage at God sometimes, to rage at situations? What is it that's driving us? And again, it can be a gnawing hunger to be heard, like nobody's really listening. 
And I keep saying this over and over again, or overcome by a sense of shame or the control manipulating aspect of this. But it's using those emotional impulses, heated outburst, to rule the world around us. So just, just backing up a little bit, who really rules the world around us? And if God's sovereign and he's in charge, then we, we can live in the kingdom of God and we don't have to rule it. Now, if the prince of the power of the air is ruling things from your perspective, then you go, well, I'm just going to do it like he does it. He rages. He's angry. He wants to destroy and divide people. He's going to use all of that. So we, we have an opportunity by, by this new life that we have in Christ to not rage. We put it away. It doesn't have to be part of our lives. We just move on in a new way. So here's how to wrestle rage. Get rid of rage. Oh, no, not that again. Admit rage, reject it, replace it, act in the Holy Spirit. That's another one. Oh, we already had the how, how to, oops, I skipped by that part. You get all of these to identify uh, projections. That would be part of the wrestling. Think before speaking, step away. It's a series of, similar to the illustration you saw earlier, dial down, down the drama. That can be part of it. Actually, this one works really well. They use I statements when you're in conversations. Like, you know, I see it like this, or I feel this, and instead of, you're an idiot, and if you knew better, you would never do it like that. And that really doesn't help. But if you say, I just don't understand, I've always done it this way, and, you know, which at least is approaching with some humility, and that allows some conversation to happen. Okay, that's the get, now we want to get rid of it, so let me jump back to that. Get rid of rage, admit rage, reject it, replace it, act in the Holy Spirit. So that's that whole list that you saw before that's going to be repeated. So the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, you see that, that is it. The Holy Spirit shows up. You don't pick one or the other. You don't get to pick fruit. It's when you have the Holy Spirit, you get close to God, you listen to Him, you go, oh, I'm going to go His way. All of these are part of that. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The whole thing is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So how can rage, how can the anger or the rage continue if what's filling you is love, joy, peace, patience? How's it going to happen? How can rage even exist in that environment? It can't. They're opposites. And God is saying, here's the Holy Spirit. I'm providing you something new. You don't have to live that way any longer. Jesus has died. He's risen. He's overcome death. The power that raised him from the dead is yours. But Lord, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand who I, I, I have to listen to at work or at home. Or you just don't know how bad it's been. You don't know what I growed up with. And you're talking to the one who knows all things. Past, present, future. All things. Yeah, he does. He knows. You don't know how I feel. Yeah, he knows how you feel. He's offering you a different way to live. That's what he's offering. The Colossians saying, you don't have to do it that way. Let that die. That's the way of the world. That's why we used to do it. We don't do it that way anymore. 
because we have the Holy Spirit. So we're going we're gonna to get rid of anger and rage and malice. So this is another one, another state of being. Uh, it's an inherent evil underlying principle of wickedness, satisfying selfish desires above all else, may be evident or camouflage in appearance. And uh, you get people that look like, you know, they're just, they're on your team, they're cool, they, they can, uh, uh, they fit into the, to the crowd, the, the popular, hip, cool crowd. And uh, if you know about Jeffrey up there on the screen, then you know that's exactly what they did. They fit in with the, the people and the elite people at the top of the chain, and they used young girls. And you go, huh. Inherent evil, underlying principle of wickedness, satisfying selfish desires above all else, may be evident or camouflage in appearance. So you look cool, look happy, look pretend, got money. Nobody's ever answered the question of where Epstein got his money. Isn't that cool? Actually, nobody's answered the question of how he died where he died either. I mean, this thing is twisted. But think of there's inherent evil, and it looks fine. This happens in the church too. Putting on the good show, being, being really involved in things, and Looking like this is this is the way church ought to be. This is the way Christians ought to walk with the Lord or or learn to represent Him in this world, and it can be a show or it can be very real. But malice is running in the background in this case. So inherent evil, there's uh, things get getting out of hand. How to manage malice? We got a whole bunch of those that should be popping up. There they go. So, being aware of inherent evil, knowing that that is a possibility within us, um, start uh, stop be- before believing that you know all that stuff. Uh, consider consequences. Another way to manage malice. Uh, change the the uh, personal standards. All of those things can kind of control it. And uh, Epstein's never claimed to be a believer or tried to adjust his his behaviors, but he knew what culturally looked right. To have the right haircut, to have the right clothes, to say the right things, and uh, there was evil going on in the background. And you go, yeah. People do that. What we're called to do with Colossians is say, now we're going to walk with the Lord. We're not going to do that. We don't allow, maybe we've allowed that before, but we're not going to allow that anymore in us to be part of us, to have this other agenda going on. We're going to move in a, in a new direction. And that's, again, get rid of malice. Instead of just trying to manage it, we get rid of it. And we go a whole different direction. Ad- admit it, reject it, replace it, act in the Holy Spirit. We want to use the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faith. We're going to do that and not allow this other to control us or be part of us. Slander and evil behavior. Using false statements about someone to damage their reputation and relationships. And we can 
add that into gossip and all kinds of things. But we're putting people down and we're ripping them apart where it's not even true. It's just we're just throwing things out there to make other people maybe think highly of us while they think badly of someone else, whatever it is, but it's, it's damaging. And how to, how to manage the tendency to slander. How can we do that? Oh, man, we do find a way, don't we? We have to stop, slow down, look around, say, you know, I, I, I just don't need to be saying that. I need to get the facts. I need to not allow um, people to get away with some of these things. I need to identify what's actually good, what's actually bad, and uh, well, practice grace and truth. There's a, a allowing people to be uh, to be themselves, to be unique, to be all of that, and that's part of this whole uh, grace and truth thing. There's there's room in there. God accepts us, and we're pretty weird, so he's allowing people to be distinct and unique, and there's the practice of grace, and and then there's the truth. There's some of this that we need to admit and come close to him and own, and that's part of what we're singing that practice grace and truth. Um, but Moving on to the get rid of it again, and the same list. Admit, slander, reject it, replace it, act in the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit work in us and produce that fruit. So now we're operating from love, joy, peace, patience. It's amazing if we just put those things to work, how we have less negative to say about other people. It just goes away. We can manage it. And that helps, but to get rid of it is so much better on all of these. Just get rid of it, which is what we're offered. Dirty language and evil behavior. It's disrespectful, abusive, vile, foul, inappropriate, and it shows up all over the place. And uh, we're called to not do that, and that is... That's the way of the world. We're to die to the ways of the world. We're supposed to embrace the new life in Christ and the empowerment that he provides in this new life that we're going to live as we follow him. So we got a way to manage the tendency to use dirty language. And people have all kinds of methods for this. But we have to, again, admit it. You know, okay, I'm using dirty language. I need to you know, change... Maybe maybe I have to buy a dictionary and say, oh, there's more words. It's amazing to me that, that movies that say they're mature, and this is you know, TV or movies, either one, and they go, the mature thing is to use an F word as a, a noun or a verb or an adverb or an adjective, and you go, wow, you don't need... Any other language, any other word in the English language, that just covers it, and you're good. You know, that's ridiculous. So these writers apparently have a lack of ability at finding a dictionary, that there are words that describe the things, the very things that they're talking about, but it's acceptable to the world. And if it's acceptable to the world, 
and it makes you seem cool. Let's use that language. And that's kind of... Well, anyway, there's, a way, there's ways to, to manage it up there. Let's, let's go to get rid of it. Get rid of the tendency to dirty language. Just uh, same thing. Admit using it. Reject it. Uh, replace it. Act in the Holy Spirit. Let that love, joy, peace, patience go. You know, if I'm practicing these things, I'm practicing grace with other people, that kind of language really doesn't work. Whatever it is. Because, you know, you go to England, they have a different set. And you go, it just whatever part of the English-speaking world or any other language, they have theirs. And you just go, that's just nuts. There are better words, and there are lots of them. And you can find synonyms. You write, you put it into whatever the word is, synonym on Google. There it is. You get a hundred of them. We need to, you know, move in a new direction. So, again, those are disrespectful, abusive foul, inappropriate, and the Holy Spirit's giving us this empowerment and the mental ability to find better words, better tone, better ways of communicating with other people. And it is not cool to limit our vocabulary to a half dozen words that we think, oh, those are dirty, and they catch people's attention. Yes, they do, because they, along with you, are stupid. So stop it. Yes, I did say stupid. Just in case that wasn't a dirty language. Act in the Holy Spirit. Let's stay with that. Okay, we're going to focus on that. So live the new life. So this is back to chapter 3. Live the new life in uh, Colossians 3, verse 3. For you died to this life, this one, the, the, the one with the world, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. So we got a whole new thing. we got a new life, a new way of living it, a new empowerment, new instructions. New way of getting along with others, communicating to others, uh, behaving around others. I mean, this, this lifts it to a higher, higher level. So does an unchanged worldly life or a changed life in Christ best represent your life? Does an unchanged worldly life or a changed life in Christ best represent your life if those words if those attitudes if that approach to relationships is still uh, very much alive in you then the new life hasn't taken hold the new life in Christ is far different he takes us in a whole different direction and the challenge is very real because we have to put to death what is in us those tendencies, those things we've been surrounded by and we've accepted and we kill them and we go, no more. I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to move in a new direction because the God, the Most High God, who is above all else, has offered me a life that is beyond compare in this life and the one to come. I want to live like that. And that's intentional and it takes work. And you have to overcome because every cell in your body is used to the world. And you have to fight it. And you have to practice it. And you have to determine to get rid of it. That's why the managing word is not all that helpful. Managing sin is not the same as getting rid of sin. Enough, we've had enough managing sin. Let's just stop it. And let's get rid of it 
and then allow that reality that Christ is bringing to come alive in us. When you read through the Sermon on the Mount, all Jesus is talking about is this is what life is like in the kingdom. This is what it's like when you have the Holy Spirit. When somebody, you're angry at the other person, don't be angry with that person. You go, well, that's just ridiculous. Well, don't use that word. And you go, okay, as long as I follow the rule to, to the edge, again, edgy, I just go to the edge. And what he's saying is, no, you just get rid of it. You don't have to be angry because you're not angry anymore. Because you're, now you are filled with love, joy, peace, patience. You go, huh. If you don't have anything flaring up and you don't feel it in your belly, coming up, closing up your throat, flaming through your eyes, you just don't have to. No more, no need for it. It just is replaced by the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's called us to, new life in Christ, not like the world. Your real life is hidden with Christ and God. So which represents your life? Just live in the worldly, just have Jesus with the hope of heaven, or actually being changed by him? Are you ready for a new life in Christ? Are you ready for a new life in Christ? This is the time. Now is the time to live that new life. He's offered us something totally different. It doesn't fit in this world. It will be reacted to. It will be hated. Even your own body, your own mind will fight it from time to time. But he's invited you into a new life. And he will help you if you lean on him. If you draw on him, draw on his strength. He will help you. It is a good deal. A new life in Christ is amazing. So let's pray. Let's pray that that would be real in us. Father, thank you for this time, this gathering. And I do pray that you would make yourself real to each one here. Uh, That you would make your way so beautiful, so enticing, that the ways of the world would be shown for what they are in their darkness and the ugliness and the pain. And Lord, that we would be so drawn that we would get rid of things, not just manage them, but get rid of them to live the new life, to think the way you would have us think, to behave the way you would have us behave so that we might honor you, glorify you in all that we do. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.